Okay, and welcome back to Fast Shit Performance then. My name is Tim Davies, and I'm back in my attack shack then, dropping some truth bombs on your personal battlefields, helping you to go out and dominate in your personal space. And somebody who has decided to do that today is an 18-year-old that's written me an email and asked me to share it with you. In fact, he hasn't written an email, guys. He's written me a book. Enough book, fam. I'm not being funny. This email, I might actually copy and paste it and just see how many words it is it it goes on and on and actually you know what i'll be fair to the guy it's there's a lot of sense in this so what i thought i was going to do going to read this email um and then we're going to discuss the email because he gives some advice in here for people uh he's 18 as i said that are going into the air force or looking to go into uh, osc uh, officer air crew selection center uh, which he's had a go at and I lost his email, actually. He wrote it back on the 18th, and I did lose it, and I've had just found it. So um, let's go through it, shall we? And I'll comment. <laughs> you know how I do this. I'll read it out, and I'll probably comment after some bits and pieces. Right. He says then, let's have a look. What's it start off with here? Yeah, okay. So it's my experience of ambition, achievement, and mental health. Now, it starts off, hi, Tim. You're exceptionally good-looking, et cetera, et cetera. We all know how that works. Um, I hope... You are well. Now, interestingly, well, just before I carry on with this, um, I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of long emails, as I'm sure you know. Uh, and I'd be honest with you, if I, if I can socialize them with you, I will. And they're the ones I give value back to because it helps everyone out there who's listening to this. Uh, and obviously, I do some on uh, performance. I do some on uh, joining the Air Force or whatever it might be, a lot of mental health stuff. I write my essays and you get that. But if a guy here, and he has written here, um, please share this with people. I'm more likely to do a podcast or something with this and spend time answering you because I can. I can give the value out to a lot of people. If you say, please don't tell anyone to this, don't tell anyone about this, I'm just, I can write you a few lines in reply, but I've got to shift that out because obviously I'm busy. You know all that, of course. Um, right, here he says, first of all, don't worry if you don't get around to reading this, it's quite an essay, and I appreciate how busy you are. Time is money in the modern world. There'd be many times that I've felt compelled to email you, but as you may read below, I've been very busy. I seem to have saved up everything to write to you at once. I hope you don't mind. This is me sighing now, of course, but no, I don't mind. Actually, it's quite a good read, this one. I'm writing this email with the hope that it could be used as material for one of your podcasts to the benefit of others who are in a similar situation that I've been recently. This isn't for publicity, but to acknowledge my failure, struggles, things that worked and things that didn't along my journey that have got me to where I am today. In fact, I prefer if you didn't reveal my name or email address, but any other information that isn't in bold is fine. I hope this will provide a realistic picture of my circumstances that might help others to achieve their aspirations. The bits in bold, guys, are where he's uh, like taking the job at somewhere. So he says, as a something at somewhere. And all I'm going to do is just change those things out to something similar because he's worried about being identified. Uh, that's cool. I get it. I get it. Um, so I won't give his name, a full name anyway. He's, I won't give his name. I won't give his name. Don't worry about it. All right, here we go. Uh, let me give you a bit of background to begin with. I'm 18 years old. I've finished my A-levels and have an application in for pilot with the Royal Air Force. For the last year, I've been a follower of Fast Ship Performance Podcast, and I'd like to say how much I appreciate the work you're doing, sharing your own experience and dropping truth bombs to help others in the personal battlefields. Listening to your commentary and reading your essays has certainly helped me a lot to date and was one of the few things that kept me motivated through some tough times. Right, it's been a dream of mine ever since I joined Air Cadets as a meek 14-year-old. Now, I can talk to you about what meek actually means if you want, and it doesn't, you don't mean meek, you just mean like a, a young teenager, but I get what you're saying. Um, he joined Air Cadets to become a fast jet pilot. 
But ultimately, I love to fly anything that I've been streamed to. If my application is successful and I get through training, as with any long-term goal, I believe it's important to have a plan B, since so many things out of the applicant's control can end up going unexpected ways. This could be having an unknown medical condition which barred a candidate from entering service, as discussed on a previous podcast, or not making the grade in the aptitude test. On a personal note, I found that plenty of mental maths practice helped for CBAT. These are the aptitude test guys, as I'm sure many of your listeners will know. But I found some handy European Space Agency astronaut aptitude programs online, which might help others prepare too. A new one can be found on the website at, he gives me a link, I'll drop that link into the show notes, okay? So if you want to go and practice being an astronaut, this is actually very interesting. Um, You should practice being an astronaut if you want to be a pilot. Go beyond, guys, okay? Don't aim for the level you're trying to attain, aim for beyond that level you're trying to attain, because then you, if, you, if, you, if you don't get that level, you drop back down into whatever. So if you're trying to be um, a fast jet pilot, aim to be a test pilot. Read up about test pilots and all that kind of stuff. Aim to be a test pilot or an astronaut, whatever, you'll drop down, okay? Good stuff. In the interest of not putting all my eggs in one basket, I applied to university whilst in sixth form to study aerospace engineering at Bristol. Solid lad, that's exactly what I did. Uh, I did it at University of West of England, aerospace manufacturing technology or something like that. So, for which I have a delayed offer to start this September, this will give me a shot at RF direct entry. Uh, you don't know if you don't try. And act as an insurance policy too. I'm not planning for failure, but acknowledge my first attempt may not be successful and I might be eligible to apply again after university. Becoming a pilot matters a lot to me, but not so much that I let it derail my life if I didn't become one. Oh, clap, clap, mate. Yeah, legend. I'm clapping you here on my microphone. Definitely. Life is, um, life is a crazy, crazy thing. Uh, having come out of the military, I'm starting to realise there's all these different things going on, and you don't let these small things derail your life. I oh, let me just finish this paragraph, and I'll tell you about something in a second. Okay. If this is the case, it won't be for a lack of determination. I, if it doesn't get to become a pilot, it won't be for lack of determination. This is an approach that Chris Hadfield embodied when going for CSA astronaut selection, and I figured it was a healthy attitude to have. He's written some good books, which I'd highly recommend. It's a tough goal set for anyone with a high probability of failure. Looking at the RF Slim recruitment policy under the new UKMFDS, but I believe the bottleneck will begin to lessen soon, as hopefully STSR 2020 brings a bigger budget for the forces. Now, I spoke to Ian Gale yesterday, um, Air, uh, was he? he's um, ACAS, Assistant Chief of Air Staff. It was on a Twitter thing. And I said to him, taken seven years now to get to the front line, uh, I said, how, are you, how do I motivate these people now to stick with this and not go for the Navy or not go for um, Royal Air Force? Sorry, not go for the Navy or the Army, but stick with the Royal Air Force. And he said, well, training is only a small part of the career. He's right. Training is only a small part of your career. But people don't go and join the services for 20 years like I did anymore. You go and join for six, nine, 12. All the Typhoon guys that I trained, they're not looking at staying in long term because the pension, it doesn't satisfy them. They don't want to stay until they're 55. They want to go in, fly Typhoons, exit, work in a hedge fund, make some big money, buy an island, all that kind of stuff, whatever they want to do. So seven years is a long time, and that's what's got to come down. And that's why you see the Royal Air Force trying to um, scon people out into uh, other flying training systems. And it's one of these things with Aerolist that we're trying to provide as well as a relief training system for the Royal Air Force, although they have got themselves in one hell of a mess I did tell him about it back in 2011, but that's the problem. You don't listen to your SO2s, squad leaders. Now, what he's saying here, of course, is, um, yeah, I did say, so he's talking about Bristol, insurance policy, planning for failure. Yeah, first attempts, not so much derailing life. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did speak to a guy, actually, um, and the guy in the States I spoke to, 
Now, he was, must have been in his mid-50s, um, and he was wrapped up over the fact that the day before his hearing test to get in as a pilot in the Royal Air Force, he'd been clay pigeon shooting without hearing protection, and he failed his hearing test. This, this guy's 55. His life wasn't going that well, and he was saying, if only I hadn't gone clay pigeon shooting the day before, my life would be so different. And I had to say to him, look, dude, you've been holding this for 35 years. Stop being, a, stop being an idiot. Stop being an idiot. You might have been killed in service. You know, you might have killed someone in the service. You don't know. You could have got in for pilot, gone through a whole pilot training, failed at the very end, flown with me, and I'm like, I can't take you any further. I'm really sorry. And then I, I put you into another role. It's, it doesn't, it's one of those things you can't even forecast. But in his mind, his whole 35 years has been wrapped up in, if I hadn't gone clay pigeon shooting, then maybe I'd have passed my hearing test and everything would be all right. And you can't live your life like that and that's what this guy's saying here good man right he carries on the episodes of your podcast which cover mental health namely letting it go when the rf says no and email from a young guy who can't get a job sounded uh, sorry resounded heavily with me admittedly i'm extremely fortunate and i've grown up in a relatively affluent area with a good school and access to local air cadet squadron however no one is immune to poor mental health I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, but academic ability has never really been an issue for me, and I find it relatively easy to stay fit with little effort. I've had so many good opportunities thrown my way, and I've made the most of them. However fantastic this may sound, and this has been mentioned before by others who have written to you, I find it very hard to recognise my own achievements and feel good about myself. Even with good grades at school, doing a sporting event, and having the privilege to go on um, uh, an international kind of exchange programme, uh, following finishing school last year, I started flying training after receiving a scholarship to complete my PPL, private pilot's license, which I did in six weeks, and now I'm flying with a local club. I knew this was something I was passionate about. I regularly experienced getting into my flow, but all good things come to an end, and I was literally and figuratively brought back down to earth. It's got really small writing, this guy. I'm sorry, guys. I'm struggling. I take great satisfaction in flying, but I've always found myself comparing where I am now to where I want to be in the cockpit of a Lightning and couldn't seem couldn't seem to see the bigger picture or enjoy the present trying to figure out what was going on inside my head here has shaken my self-confidence was i being selfish narrow-minded or boneheaded as i was finding it hard to see these activities for what they really are stepping stones along the way okay let's be honest he's 18 could have worded that a little bit better but i get the gist all right he's got a bit of a self-confidence issue you're 18 years old i'm glad you got a self-confidence issue okay because uh, else you come across as arrogant in your fellow year or your interviews understand that right he carries on Another challenge to my self-esteem has been finding a job after coming back from training in September. I kept myself preoccupied for a while, training for a sporting event, but I soon had to face up the necessity of becoming somewhat financially independent for my parents and filling the long wait of my RF application productively. I began to apply for full-time roles all over the place, office admin, call centre work, lab assistant jobs, and finally ended up taking a job which didn't reject me as soon as I mentioned I was planning to join the military and wouldn't be sticking around. This was agency work. Um, and basically he was just in a building doing assistant role. Not his ideal job, but it paid well enough for me to fly in frequently, and there were some lovely people in the team who it was a pleasure to meet. Cleaning fridges, cutting cakes, and hoovering were my main tasks for 40 hours a week, and though I can see this now as positive life experience, it certainly didn't feel that at the time. After working for months there, I really began to feel the discrepancy between expectation and reality. When you compare holding a control column in your hand as opposed to a Henry Hoover, the job wasn't physically very hard, but mentally it was for me. Now, fair point there. I understand that, young 18-year-old man. When I was 18, I worked in um, a perfume factory. Uh, Again, it was an agency role. 
We had a 30-minute lunch break and 15-minute break in the morning. That was it. It was um, nine hours a day, uh, mainly with women. Uh, there was about three or four guys there, and it was on a line. It was a factory of Estee Lauder and Body Shop. So, yes, I can detect um, fuzzy peach, uh, white musk, uh, or I think it's is it blue, blueberry, blueberry, something like that. Anyway, at about 50 meters. I smelled a perfume the whole time. And no, it does not come off when you have a shower, okay? But it was a job. It paid. Mentally, it was a good thing for me, all right? Because it was, it was an easy job. I could concentrate on what I was doing. But when I was 18, I did that. I also worked in the kitchen of a restaurant, and I was a washer-upper. I put things into the dishwasher, and I did that. And I also worked in a swimming pool as a bit of a, like a doorman slash sort of security type thing, uh, getting beaten up the whole time. You take what jobs you can at the time. Here's the thing, excuse me, here's the thing about mental health. If you don't have a job and you have no friends or a partner um, and you haven't got any purpose in your life, it's pre- and you've got an addiction, by the way, it's pretty much impossible to help you. You cannot have those four things. You need to get at least rid of one of them. And the easiest one to get is any, any, any job. Just get any kind of job that gives you something to get up in the morning and you will be in a better place, all right? Everyone hasn't got any friends. Everyone struggles with friendships. You understand that. Not everyone has a partner in the age of Twitter. Not Twitter? What's that one where you swipe? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, uh, Tinder, isn't it? Yeah, because me. I had grind on my mind for some reason. That's the one I use. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so it's difficult to have a partner. I fully get that. And obviously, purpose and addictions, fair enough. You need to get rid of one of those before you're going to find, um, before you sort your mental health out. Right. So he says here, let's have a look. Um, he says here, right. Yeah, fine. So I've always loved rewatching TV programs, films such as Combat Pilot and Top Gun. But it got to the stage where I was being constantly reminded of where I wasn't and I almost couldn't bear to watch them. That's because you need to watch Iron Eagle, fool. Definitely. That's the one. In December, I began to feel in such a psychologically bad place that I didn't think I'd be able to pass my OSC board in 2020 and that I've been recently booked onto. I lost my motivation at the cadet squadron. My fitness was going downhill after my sporting event and I didn't have any academic stimulus apart from the RF research, my filter interview at the Armed Forces Careers Office, which seemed never-ending. I began to have some dark thoughts. I tried my hardest to appear outwardly composed. I even found a local uh, OSC prep club, which I began attending. Again, this is another thing I'd highly recommend. But it just wasn't doing it for me. Things like they were about to fall apart, along with my aspiration of becoming a pilot. I decided enough was enough. and took a long Christmas break with my savings from my job to carry me through. This may well turn out to be the most important decision I ever made in my life. Right, guys, we are over halfway through, okay? this book he's written um there we go i've lost it now just scroll down to see how far we were through it and i'm just there we go right got it amidst all the white noise about getting fit in the new year and being mindful there's some increasing recognition of taking care of your mental health but a stigma still remains and i think that simple self-care and care of each other is far underrated in today's society i remember an image of the pyramid from maslow's hierarchy of needs which was something i learned about on a cadet course Right at the bottom of the pyramid, the foundation of your life is taking good physiological care of yourself, underpinning everything, including mental health. I realized that the past few months, his ultimate aim of becoming a pilot had become so all-consuming that I scored a massive own goal against myself. Well, that's insightful. So you've done well there, because you have, by the way. So, yeah, you know, you build it up into something uh, massive and, you know, it's going to be further to fall for you. So you've got to take care of that. Looking back, I can see that I hadn't been eating properly, not going to the gym or going out running like I usually enjoy doing. Thankfully, I've retained enough endurance to pass the RF fitness test. I pinned my self-worth on achieving my dream instead of making progress. Meeting the individuals 
physical needs comes first and my pursuit of self-actualization had meant I tried to seize the top place of the pyramid without proper due attention given to the lower levels. Obviously, this was unsustainable and it was only going to end in one way with the whole pyramid collapsing. Now, that's very interesting. Yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't seen Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, go and look it up. Um, it's about self-actualization, self-realization at the top. I'm surprised an 18-year-old is trying to go for self-actualization at 18. I still haven't found it and I probably never will. Fair play for trying, but that's a massive, massive ask at your age, or any age really, self-actualization. When you meet someone who, who has done that there, and I talk about um, I, I talk about this quite a bit, um, it's very interesting. You'll recognize them as a very different person. You might be speaking to someone at a party and they're just overly at one with themselves. There's an air of authenticity that you just, you're like, wow, this guy is just incredible, or, or this girl's incredible. Um, and it's very impressive. They've obviously done a lot of work on themselves, and that's something most people don't do. So what he's said, he's let the basics go, he hasn't been eating properly, hasn't been going to the gym, hasn't been running, he's put himself, he's got himself wrapped up in this. He's obviously researching stuff for his um, filler interview. Ah, man, you've got to have a structure. You know, this is chaos, chaos versus order. And uh, unless you have order in your life and you've got to, you've got to sort that order out yourself, no one's going to do it for you. Everyone's happy to let people fail because they're struggling themselves. One of the things that um, I'm going to write about soon is discipline. And it's about whether people in the service are disciplined or whether they're being disciplined, if you see what I mean. So I could have said in the military, I was a very disciplined person. But I was only a disciplined person in the military because I was in a, an environment that demanded discipline. So I was being disciplined. When you come out of the service, that isn't the case. And that's why a lot of servicemen and women go off the rails and don't know what they're doing. You've got to get a bit of structure back into your life. That means you've got to set yourself bedtime. It sounds ridiculous, guys. You've got to set yourself a bedtime. You've got to set a get-up time. It doesn't have to be half past four like Jocko Willink. Um, but you've got to go to bed at one time, get up at one time, and you've got to do it. And you've got to structure your day the night before. You cannot structure a day on the day. I don't care who you are. You'll mess it up. Things will get in the way. Twitter will get in the way. I'll be arguing with Colonel Richard Kemp or something about him trying to reinvade Iraq or something. You know, that's going to get in the way of my day unless I plan for it. So I've got to can I say three hours in the morning, I'm going to do some writing. Uh, the two hours in the afternoon, I'm going to put some spin content out, whatever. Uh, and then the other two hours, I'm going to record the podcast and we do whatever. You know, I've got to have it in my day. I'm going to do some aerialist work in the evening give yourself some time off and uh, think about right in the evening I'm going to do this evening it's very difficult for me I don't have kids so I'm like in the evening I need something to do gym time maybe um, watch a movie something like that uh, take the wife out for food I don't know something like that but you've got to plan it guys okay it's not going to happen for you so he's um, obviously gone off the rails here a little bit good he's recognised it squared himself away legend I like this this is mature okay last uh, couple of paragraphs then guys well, I'm still here writing this email. Yeah, I know you are. And I've managed to get things back on track. I used that extended Christmas break to take a long, hard look at my life and where I'd been going wrong. I concentrated on the simple things, making a comeback at the gym, getting some good sleep and eating a balanced diet. Don't underestimate sleep. I hate sleep. Very, very important. Get the right amount of sleep. Uh, right, he carries on. It was amazing what difference this made. I repainted my room, did some DIY, got my life organized, got my stuff together. I quit my job. Uh, the decision was in part Influenced by a quote from Alan Watts I heard many times in a certain Logic song and some of your advice on job satisfaction. And I got a job as a receptionist at a small business. The fact that I'm on minimum wage matters much, much less to me now than it would have done a few months ago when I first began looking for a job. I'm enjoying the first week and really feeling like I can contribute. Good. Contribute is really important, guys. Whatever job you're taking, you, you need to be able to give more to it. And what I mean by that, and let's just finish this, um, so basically he's in a health, well, he's in a kind of health area really and it's rewarding to know that you're making a difference um, in this particular area. 
forfeiting the ability to fly more than once a month has been well worth it. Yeah, so he's saying he can contribute. Now, when you're thinking about what jobs you can take, you, you must have a job where you can um, you can give more. So what I'm saying is, let's pretend you take a job where you are like admin assistant or something, or whatever, your secretary, that kind of stuff. You've got to know, and in your interview, you can say, look, if there's a possibility I could do more in this job than just be a secretary, they'd be like, whoa, dude, yeah, sure, you can help us rewrite this if you want to, or maybe we can do this. Good, that's the job then. Get in there, feet on the table, learn your role, now you upskill, because that's giving you ability to learn. And what you happen, what happens in a lot of jobs when you get out there in jobs, you do, they're just paying you for doing your role. You're not going to give any training on the job, not any more training than you have to do in order to do your job. And you haven't got any time to go out and find that training yourself. Why? Because you're in work. You haven't got that time. So what you've got to do is say, look, can I help deputize for you, boss man, maybe once a week or something and just do your emails, help you out, whatever. Now you're speaking to the boss. Now all the stuff is happening in the company you know about. It's pretty cool. You know, everyone will come to you for all the gossip and everything like that. You make yourself irreplaceable. You've got to be able to do more in your role than your role demands. That's that's not to say you go into an interview and you say, I want more. You just have to say, I will in future need to upskill. I, I would like to do more within the company. Is that possible? And if they're like, no, nah, just secretary, mate. Think about taking a different job, okay? Think about taking a different job. Right, he's finishing now. Everyone's breathing a sigh of relief. A certain stereotype of pilots I've encountered many times throughout the aviation-related books I've read and films I've watched has been a male, brash, overconfident individual. And somewhat naively, I've tried to model myself on this stereotype as the image of what a pilot should look like. Yeah, don't do that. It didn't help the stereotype is endemic to the echo chamber of the air cadets. Now, I've heard this, actually. Yeah, and it's a shame. I speak at air cadets squadron. I'm not too sure where that comes from. I do speak at a lot of squadrons, and one of the things I do lecture about again and again is humility uh so that's interesting he said that my recent experience has shown me that to some extent this is necessary but this is a necessary but small part of every pilot's personality but perhaps not safe mental health i too have found myself compartmentalizing my emotions for dealing with later and ultimately they cannot be ignored which has led to a few relationships ending solo flying requires a degree of self-reliance and confidence in what you're doing which is utterly necessary to carry out activities of inherently risky and technical nature i know from first-hand experience flying solo that my embracement of this attitude to save my skin more than once when training not just because i believe i can make the right choice in the cockpit but put in the hard study and practice beforehand that's where the confidence comes from putting in the hard work and practice beforehand okay most people that are underconfident haven't done that they haven't done the work and that's why they're underconfident i haven't met many people um, who are confident who uh, have not done hard study and, and practice beforehand so everything is again maslow's hierarchy of needs if you want to call it like that the triangle is the the foundations you put in that's where your confidence is going to come from. It's not arrogance. If you meet arrogant people, they're covering up the fact that they haven't done the work. That's, so when you meet an arrogant person, it's like, dude, you haven't done the work. Because if you've done the work, you'd be confident you wouldn't be arrogant, okay? So that's the difference between confidence and arrogance. It's a fine line. Uh, however, well, arrogant pilots die. That's the thing, okay? So you can choose which one you want to be. You want to throw around, not talking about this guy, I'm saying in general, you want to throw around attitude, whatever, in the crew room, you're just going to get, just going to get thrown out. No one's, no one's like that on a squadron. You won't find people that are hugely arrogant on a squadron, okay? There's a lot of humility on Air Force squadrons and Navy squadrons, of course. However, and arrogant guys don't get there. Arrogant guys and girls will not get that far. It just doesn't happen. I mean, it might happen in the United States Navy or something. I mean, I, I know a few guys out there that I've, that I've kind of spoken to and I thought, dude, you must be confident in your abilities because, you know, you're only as good as your last flight and you're, you're talking it up left, right and centre, mate. But I've flown with US Marine Corps guys, um, very humble chaps, lovely uh, United States Air Force, very professional people. US Navy guys, don't get me wrong, um, solid. Uh, majority of them very, very solid. But I, I would say 
out of all the people that I've flown with ever. Um, it's interesting because French have got French sometimes have this arrogance about them. Yet the, the, one of the greatest pilots I ever flew with, and one of the most humble pilots I ever flew with, and I still see him because I send him um, blow up things for his pool in the south of France. He's left now. A good friend of mine was one of the most humble professional pilots I've ever met in my life and was the first guy in the squadron to put his hand up, one of the most experienced guys in air combat, someone I could never, never kick around the sky at all. Um, and he was one of the first guys to put his hand up on the squadron and say, I've made a mistake. And when a guy like that does that, you listen to him, okay? You listen to him. That kind of helped change the whole thing on four squadron when I was the uh, senior instructor there. Let's have a look. Yeah, he's done that one. So yeah, so it's about hard study and practice beforehand. That's what gets you to be confident. However, echoing an earlier sentiment in this small, oh sorry, in this email, it's email, it's small writing, a lot of it. However, echoing an e- earlier sentiment in this email, no one is immune to poor mental health and I'm sure Maverick Goose and Iceman would have all been fighting their own personal battles deep down. Not Dougie Masters though, because Dougie Masters didn't have those issues in, I- in Iron Eagle. Chappy, right. This was the persona that I that was projected on film in the 1980s on an elite training unit, and I wonder whether this is still the case today in the media. Perhaps you could provide some insight into this. I know that you've discussed many of the Rafat pilots display more extroverted qualities, but the public rarely get insights into the pilots on frontline squadrons. Yeah, no, I haven't got a problem with um, the Rafat pilots. I know that's Royal Air Force Aerobatic Team, Red Arrows. No, I know the pilots in the team, um, and I haven't got issues with the pilot or the, I haven't got issues with the pilots or the team. I have issues with the surrounding assurance set from Twenty Two Group. Now it's a lot better now, I'm sure, but they're, they're still having accidents, and that's or incidents. Sorry, and that's why I was saying this still isn't squared away. Let's wait for the next incident. I don't call them accidents. There's always something responsible, but the actual individual pilots. No, they're they're, they're obviously around the world doing a great job. It's not easy doing that job, by the way, but. Um, yes, they're, they're one of nine, and I think in year two, they probably do get reasonably confident at what they're doing, probably right to say, you have to, and in year three, they get bored. So year one is the struggle, year two is the confidence, and year three is the boredom, and then they leave, because they're doing the same thing every um, every week, of course, in front of the cameras. But pilots aren't, and we're not stupid, when, when a member of the public says, oh, you're amazing, and that member of the public has very limited knowledge of aviation, that is not going to do anything for your ego whatsoever. You're just going to go, well whatever pilots validate sorry pilots get validated by other pilots I, I don't care about anyone's opinion of my flying apart from another pilot that's the only person i'm gonna to listen to about it that's the only person that, that matters anything to me whose opinion matters anything to me at all is another pilot so if you know mrs miggins comes up and says oh your display was amazing thank you i'm glad you enjoyed it absolutely 100 i'm a display pilot whatever that's i really understand that I, that's for you i'm, I'm all for you because i'm a display pilot i love it it's not going to make me walk away with a bigger ego because she doesn't know anything about flying. No idea at all. So the the pilots in the team are very much doubt, um, for the ones I spoke to anyway, they're not elevated by, it's not driven by ego, they're driven by professionalism. That's why their motto is a clap, okay? Brilliant display, all right? Um, so that's what drives them. It's the professionalism. It's, the, it's the, the front of the Royal Air Force. It's what everyone sees around the world, and it's, it's fantastic that they go out and do that. But the way they are assured by Central Flying School and 22 Group in the Royal Air Force, I still think needs refining and needs doing better. And I'll keep saying that until they stop crashing airplanes. I'll get more emails now, won't I? Right. Um, my limited experience of the general aviation industry would lead me to think that there is far more deviation possible from this stereotype than I had first thought. 
This is about the brash pilot. And I believe that the RAF has recognised this in the recruiting strategy of commissioned officers and more specifically pilots for several years now. This is beginning to be demonstrated with a few examples in the UK by fighter pilots such as Joe Salter. Yeah, OK, who served as a tornado pilot. First fast jet pilot, in fact, and internationally in India, where Adam Harry has become the first transgender pilot. Didn't know that. However, all the information I've come across recently indicates that minority groups are still far underrepresented in the world underrepresented in the world of military pilots. If I remember correctly, you said that there are less than 20 frontline female fast jet pilots, probably less than that, probably about six. I'd be interested to know how the very different worlds of military flying and general aviation will compare in terms of diversity in the future. I sense that military flying is always likely to be less diverse in the private sector. Stop. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about diversity because I'm obviously not in enough trouble now as it is. Um, Lawrence Fox, the actor the other day, was talking about the end of the woke culture and he was accused of being, I think it was, a, I'm paraphrasing, a white middle-aged man and, and he was accused that by a black woman in the audience who's always seems to be in bbc audiences this woman apparently but um so he said well look, that's racist and of course she's saying it's not he's saying it is and of course it is because you flip it and he was say something about her being a middle-aged black woman everyone would say that's racist so we've got to be very careful but when we talk about diversity and quotas and whether we need diversity uh, di- w- di- would be I- ideal ideal if the diversity of the royal air force represented was representative of the country's diversity but when you look at how many um, ethnic minorities are in the country there's there's not actually that many we are still largely a very white country i can probably get up um oh, i could do it on wikipedia but i'm just saying there are and when you look up how many um muslims again it's quite a small major- a small minority so when you start thinking well we need to be more diverse well we do but obviously a lot of these groups don't actually want to join the military they just they don't same as women some women don't want to join the military um my wife didn't because it wouldn't let her be on a teeth arm what that means is she was going to join the army it wouldn't let her be an infantier she couldn't be a teeth arm she would have to be um someone that sat back in the office in a hq and she didn't want to do that i met my wife in a ditch on Salisbury plane throwing a hand grenade she was doing it badly, and I thought it was a bloke. So I jumped on her, and I was like, what are you doing? It turns out to be one of the only two women in the infantry section of about 100 people at Bristol University Officer Training Corps. I met her, obviously we stayed together after that, uh, and married her many years later, and we're still together. I don't know why. Anyway, no, she's lovely. So, so would I recommend getting more women in? Well, first off, how do you do that? Look at um, Trudeau's government in Canada, which is 50-50 women, men. He said, because that, rep- that was representative of the... Um, the public in Canada, it's like, well, it might be, but then how are you getting the best people? Should you want the best people in your cabinet, not just equal men and women? You, I mean, you're starting to follow what I'm saying. So if you're, it's like me saying, okay, so I'm going to put you and your entire family on a transport aircraft and I'm going to get it flown there to a destination overseas by someone that was brought in by quotas. By the way, they're not the best pilot. They're not the best pilot. No, they're an ethnic minority. But no, they came in from quotas. So we, we stopped, say, some white guys coming in who scored higher on CBATs and everything else and higher, in, and they, they were better handling pilots, but we stopped them flying these airplanes because we brought ethnic minorities in to increase the diversity of the Royal Air Force um, and or some LGBTQ+, or whatever it might be, and we brought them in and we've given them that job, but your entire family is going to fly in the airplane. Now, you tell me you're happy with that, of course you're not. That's not how you win wars. That's not. That's how you win public opinion. I couldn't care less about public opinion. I care about defending the sovereign integrity of the United Kingdom. Okay, and that's why we do it. So when we start talking about quotas, be very, very careful because you might end up getting what you want, and what you want is the worst thing that could possibly you could possibly do. 
because it's very hard to undo. Now, when I speak to um, ethnic minorities, a lot of people that write me emails from the, the minorities. A lot of people are saying, I don't want to go in the service, and this is why. And that's understandable. It's not something that they necessarily want to do. Uh, a lot of women say, I've changed my application, I don't want to go anymore, whatever. And I understand that. It's, as I said, I think the Royal Air Force has the higher, highest quota of women with 14% higher of any military in the UK, 14%. Um, yes, it'd be ideal to drive that more, but women don't want it. Okay, okay, throw spears. Some women do, that's the 14%. Some women don't, okay? And it's all to do with vertical ambition, it's to do with that women, the fact that a majority of women tend to like relationships and building a family and having tangible things and people to talk to, whereas men just like playing with screwdrivers and, and tanks and stuff like that, okay? We like things. It tends to be that the service is more a technological thing that men go into because they're playing with things. We can talk about the patriarchy, not on this, because I've got loads of spears anyway. Throw me your spears, I'll collect them up, I'll make firewood out of them to set myself a nice fire to keep myself warm. That's what I normally do. And that's the thing, guys. If you're getting hit by spears or arrows from people, every time one hits you, take it out of your chest, put it on the ground, and then set it alight, metaphorically speaking, and use it as firewood to keep you warm, okay? That's what I do with spears, and I get a lot of them. Right. So when you're thinking about diversity in the future and trying to get general aviation and military flying to be equally as diverse, yeah, you've got to start thinking about, excuse me, think about what that means and why you'd want to do that, okay? By all means, let's encourage diversity in the service, but let's not force it through quotas because you'll end up in a very bad place very quickly. He finishes, luckily, by saying, realising that, actually, I must admit, he's written this email well. Um, fair play to the guy. I've read it. I haven't found any mistakes in this. Grammatically, yes, some sentences could be broken up, whatever. It's written really, really well. He's obviously doing very well academically. And for 18, I get emails from people twice his age um, that I struggle to read. So this guy's doing really well. Fair play to the guy. Right. Realising that I've kept your attention for far too long, I'll bring this email to a conclusion. I've reached a certain clarity recently, which is what prompted me to write to you and share my experiences. It has been a rather therapeutic process of reflection for me and will have undoubtedly matured my outlook on life. Of course, my take on the topics discussed is entirely subjective and I would welcome debate and input. I don't think I have those years left in my life, to be honest, but fair play. The best advice I have to give any prospective pilot is this. Be pragmatic in your approach to joining the military with healthy expectations and no small amount of determination. Good. Try to enjoy the journey without fixating on the destination or at least value the selection process as life experience. Otherwise, you'll never be satisfied with any amount of progress. However, it's important to have a destination to aim for. It gives you life purpose. I agree with the words on your Facebook page, Tim. There's a cockpit there if you want it, but you do have to want it. Right. From this place of reflection, I can see the bigger picture now. I've made progress towards my goal, but there's still a long way to go. I'm ready a qualified pilot, just not in the military or type rated for the aircraft I want to be in yet. I feel infinitely more positive than I did last year and ready to face the challenge of OSC. Finally, I'd like to thank you for your podcast. It's been very supportive. Um, oh, yeah, and he says here, this is amazing. Oh, yeah, I, and I thought, wow, okay, fair play to you, mate, because I don't know what that means. He says, your sagacity has really provided some food for thought in the aviation world. I'm sure you'll continue to inspire the next generation of pilots for years to come. And I was like, I don't know what sagacity means. Oh, excellent. It means the quality of being sagacious, a man of great political sagacity. Uh, so wisdom, insight. Yeah, and I didn't know what that means. And that's because I went to a polytechnic and he's probably about to go to university. So I added that word to my lexicon. I added that word to my dictionary now. So sagacity, 
wisdom. I like that. So there's a lot in that, guys. I hope you got a lot from it. Um, I'll put this out as a podcast. Uh, the last bit I will just quickly discuss um, about the journey. One thing I've realized that my grand old age of 45, next big milestone for me is 50. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and I've put about 20 pounds since I leave the military or something. Cray cray. I know a lot of static activity. Um, it's about the journey, guys. It's never about the destination. Because when you reach, when you reach the destination, there's another destination. You've got to enjoy that journey. To enjoy that journey, then, you must be on enjoyable journeys. So think about that. Think about what that really means. If you're gonna, if you can only enjoy the journey and not the destination, then make that journey enjoyable. Because there's no point going on an unenjoyable journey to get to a destination that you didn't even want to be at in the first place. Okay? So really think about that in your life. What is it that's going to make your life enjoyable? Some bits aren't going to be happy, fine. But happiness is transient. It's like a flare. It's like passion. It's only there for a moment. Okay? But contentment can be something that is lasting. So look to be content, not happy. Happiness comes in small doses. Happiness is an episode on Netflix or whatever. Happiness might be um, the fact you know you you did the work and you work out today, and you're like, yeah, I owned it. Tick in my habit box, whatever it might be. You know, another, another tick in the box there. Okay, but contentment is something we talk about in the Spin Recovery Program. Contentment is what we need to be aiming for. Okay, to give us that balanced mental health so that we can go out and contribute to people that happen to be in the groups we occupy, all right? If you're interested in spin recovery, then Tim at fastshipperformance.com. We'll do a 20-minute Skype call and just see whether it's for you. Um, good. That's a pretty good email. I hope we got something from that. There are a lot of good things in this um, about building the solid foundation first with nutrition, exercise, sleep is a really important one. Having a plan B, really possible. Um, what was someone saying? Oh, about failure. It was uh, posted the other day tonight, Kobe Bryant, very sad. He was saying... Um, what was he saying about failure? Uh, well, what I say about failure is pretty similar. I think he probably stole, you know, how Kobe is always stealing my writing. Crazy, I know. Uh, I'll get it off you now. I'll get the exact quote he said now from my page about failure. Um, I've always said uh, failure is an option. Failure is an option. And people that say failure isn't an option, well, strange enough, those are the people that die because failure wasn't an option. So they pressed on too much. And then, yeah, unfortunately, that they, doesn't end up well for them. What Kobe Bryant said, if you're afraid to fail, then you're probably going to fail. I think that's great. If you're afraid to fail, then you're probably going to fail. Failure is first attempt in learning. And the last thing I'll say about this, I failed my first AIB, first attempt in learning. I went away. I've spoken about it before. I was supposed to go away for a year. My dad told me to call him after six months. I phoned him up and said, guys, I've done everything you've told me to do. They said, come back then. I was down there within the week and I passed that next AIB and was in um, Dartmouth a month later. So that's the problem. People... The Air Force and the Navy and the Army are probably going to fail the majority of people at first attempt. And then about 5% of those people are going to come back. So really, they're self-selecting. You know, that's the thing with the military. You self-select and then you are select-head. So you say, I want to join the military. And then the military says, you can join the military. That's why everyone tends to be the same in the military. And when you come outside, you realize that because no one outside is the same. So that's the thing. When you are rejected, and it is probably a when, so when you go to OAC, think about that. Chance of me being rejected is high, but that's great. Tim told me this was going to happen. Tim told me to have a plan B, to enjoy the journey, enjoy the process of ARB, go and learn stuff. Most people never go and do it. They're too scared. They never go and do aptitude tests. They never have interviews. They never have the chance to do barrel on planks and all that kind of stuff. Crazy. Go and do it, but recognize the fact that Tim has said majority of people fail OSC first time around. Why? Because it's hard. 
Also, why? Because the Air Force wants to see how resilient you are. Because you're going to fail trips in flying training. It wants to know that you can fail, level up, pick yourself up, come back, dominate the second time around. Admitting your mistakes that you made the first time around. Fail. First attempt in learning. Guys, kept you too long. I haven't. This guy has. I'll see you soon. Tim Davies, Fast Performance. <laughs>